back to another episode of Trades Talk. Maggie Wymore here, excited to get into today's episode. We have a guest on today's episode, Andrew Kraft with Site Landscape. He is the current CFO of Site Landscape. And Andrew was a specific target for us to have on the show because of not only what he's doing right now in his role at Site Landscape, but also because of his extensive resume specifically as an entrepreneur. And Justin, um, I know that you were the one who brought Andrew to me as a possible guest. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Maggie. I've known Andrew for quite a few years now. We've got to know each other at these landscape conferences we all go to. And I've just been really impressed with his perspective on the industry, especially with his finance understanding, which I think is something we all struggle with from time to time. Look, I'm I'm Justin. I'm with uh, K&D Landscaping. I'm the CEO over here on the West Coast. And today's episode, we're going to be talking all about technology, data, growth, finance, software. We're going to dive into how site landscape development grew from 20 million to 40 million in the last four years. We're going to be talking about EOS and doing a deep dive into what that system offers and what that methodology can bring to your company. Whether you're a owner, CEO, investor, or just an employee of a landscape or trades company, this episode is going to bring you a ton of knowledge and actionable things to take away. I seriously have three pages of notes here. I'm going to have my team listen to this thing. There is so much great takeaways. Also, we talk finance and and the role of CFO. Yes. Maggie, what, what's your take on what Andrew shared with us? Yeah, I think it's very interesting. And I think Andrew is one of those CF, people who have the CFO title that can give a negative view on, you know, finance, finance people are the most yeah. personal people. Andrew's that, not that person. He's very personable. He's very, they call him the, the chief nerd officer in his company, which I thought was funny. <laughs> but one thing that I think he shared that was really important is what financial information do you share with your employees? And when does a company need a CFO? And how much are you spending on technology? What data you're reviewing? So I, I think that the conversation is is beneficial for wherever you're at the company and where you're looking to go because opportunities are endless. He wraps it up. Uh, definitely pay attention to the end of the episode when he's, he speaks specifically about how much money and how per much percent of revenue you should be putting and investing in certain areas and also what external factors have led to site developments growth. So the booming Dallas market and how they're going to continue to grow once that boom kind of more dissolves. So great episode here, Justin, anything yeah. else before we dive in? Yeah, I love how they have their maintenance and construction elements of their company working together to convert a lot of their construction clients into paying maintenance clients. He talks about how he does that. And I think a lot of our businesses operate in that same capacity. So. Without further ado, let's launch into the conversation with Andrew. Yeah, let's get to it. All right, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Trades Talk. We're here with Andrew Kraft from Site Landscape Development. Andrew, how's it going? Going fantastic. How are you? Doing fantastic, as always. Maggie, welcome to the show. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. Happy Friday, all. <laughs> Recording on a Friday of a holiday weekend. I, I'm, I'm pretty excited, so... Yeah, we're, all, we're all pumped up. So Andrew, give us a little background about, you know, what do you do at, at site landscape development and, you know, who are you and what are you all about? Yeah. So, uh, officially I'm the CFO here. So it's site landscape and we're, uh, 30 million ish revenue commercial landscape company. 
Uh, half our business is new construction and half is maintenance, just all here in the DFW area. Yeah, again, officially I'm the CFO, uh, unofficially I am the CNO, and that would be the chief nerd officer. Uh, <laughs> a lot of this finance stuff comes a lot of technology, and that seems to be what we're messing with a lot recently. Is that self can turn or is that something that one of your team members gave to you? Uh, yeah, it's an endear- it's an endearing term from my uh, team members, <laughs> but it's well, fine. I, I embrace it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, how about, I mean, besides that, you have a pretty impressive resume. Part of the reason we wanted to have you on, you know, very entrepreneurial mindset, done a lot of great things in your past still doing some really cool things, I I would say, on the side. Uh, So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your past, what you're currently working on outside of the site landscape side of things? Yeah, I I definitely have that entrepreneurial curse for ever since I I was young, uh, many years, decades ago. I just had a regular job at Merrill Lynch and there was this uh, video game distribution company for sale. And just a long story short, I ended up doing somehow finagling a leveraged buyout to buy that company. And I, I was 24. I had no idea what I was doing, no idea how to run a company and just jumped right into the fire. And that was a 40 million revenue distribution company, 50 something you know, warehouse you know, employees and, and just right in the fire. You know, day two, the CFO quits because he thought the owner was going to give him the company. And just it's been nonstop, you know, since then. So Ran that for some years, uh, sold it to a DVD distribution company, started a uh, home building company in 2007. Could have been the single worst time in U.S. history to do that. Uh, <laughs> a year earlier or later. You I said still, it. <laughs> yeah. A year earlier or later, I might still be doing that. That wasn't fate's plan. So uh, after that, I stayed at that DVD distribution company for until like 2012 had a small e-commerce company that was a huge disaster. And then I bought a commercial fence company uh, in Dallas. So it was uh, Titan Fence. Uh, ran that for a few years. And that's where I stumbled on this thing that I'm, that I'm pretty good at. You know, you got these relatively low technology, you know, blue collar type companies and bringing some technology and basic systems and processes. Uh, did really well at that company, sold it in 2018 was looking for something else to, you know, start or buy, got connected with a guy that owns Site Landscape, ended up, uh, he, you know, he said, can you just come help me do the stuff you did at the fence company here? Because at the time, maybe 20 million revenue, really no technology outside of QuickBooks and Excel. So that was, you know, pretty impressive. They could, you know, even do that, but at that size, Things were falling apart. There were problems, and you know, hard to keep track of everything. Just all the all the reasons. So I started doing that maybe end of eighteen, beginning of nineteen, something like that. And then the next thing you know, four years later, and uh, I just love every minute of it. So uh, you know, we did Aspire implementation and Acumatic implementations and IPS, and it's fun because I get to basically. It's hard to say it's work because I get to play with all this stuff all day. So that's me in two minutes. Nice. Nice and concise, but also what an interesting background. I think as I listen to that, one of the things that jumps into my head is bought and sold. 
so many people buy and hold and they have this issue with selling. How did you get to that point where you were comfortable selling a company and then another and another and continuing that entrepreneurial journey that I think a lot of us maybe are a little scared to do and, and we hold on to things a little tighter than we uh, than you have? Two out of three of those, I won't tell you which one, you might build a guess, were <laughs> um, not sales where you where you grow it and then everything is great and then you sell it. So the video game distribution company, like even in uh, 06, 07, the distribution of physical packaged media, you know, like CDs, uh, things like that were already going away. You know, so that was a very tough, very low margin uh, business. Mm. So in I, you know, reason most banks don't do uh, leverage buyouts on distribution companies because margin is so low. So that thing was super leveraged. It was very challenging, you know, to run. So when I sold it to the DVD, DVD distribution company, that was our only option to keep that company in existence and keep the full mm-hmm. employees employed. And, uh, you know, it, it, that business probably would have just died, you know, otherwise. So that was the reason, you know, for, for that sale. One of the other ones was uh, a bad partner, uh, yeah. caught, caught him doing jobs on the side you know, to a big number. So you got, then you got two years, you know, of a lawsuit while you got to manage the business and figure out how in the world to work all that out. That was super challenging and definitely took some years, you know, off my life. Only mm-hmm. one of them was a little more traditionally built, you know, build it up, you know, uh, grow it and then, you know, sell it to to uh, somebody else. So, so yeah, most of the ones I've had were, not quite the fairy tale, build it, you know, and then when you grow it and then decide to sell it. Yeah. I think that's good for people to hear too, because some of us think just it's all sunshine and roses out there and, you know, you grow a company and sell it, but there's a lot of challenges and failures you have to go through. And it sounds like you've learned a lot in the last, you know, couple decades of this entrepreneurial <laughs> journey you've been on. Yes. <laughs> you can Come say that. Me. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> One thing that stood out to me is, you know, you were always the the owner, the CEO, the uh, the the main decision maker. And in your pivot to site landscape, you've now taken on a role as CFO. Yeah. So talk a little bit about, did you replace an existing CFO? Did you pioneer that new position? Was it just time in the company's financial growth that they needed a CFO? Well, yeah. why, why are you there in that position currently? Yeah. So when, yeah. So a couple of things with that. Uh, yeah, for the majority of my adult career, I've been the owner. And uh, right or wrong, uh, one of I thought one of the benefits was you know being a fast decision maker. You know, it's like uh, the only constant is change, always trying to be better. And you know, at least it didn't have a lot of people that I had to get approval from. You know, to say, hey, we need to do this. It's gonna make it better. Let's do it. And then the next day we just reevaluate if it works great. If it didn't work, we do something different. And that's a little bit different now. And that was early on, definitely a challenge to get used to, had hurt feelings and stuff, but uh, it was fine. You know, you just, you just uh, deal with it. It's funny. My husband says the same thing about me. Like when he got married, he now has someone that he has to report to for decision making. It's all making sense. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. 
as far as actual role, yeah. So site had, had grown really well and really fast, but just not just a ton of structure around there. So there wasn't, you know, there was like one, maybe two people that did all the accounting and that was everything, you know, ARAP, payroll, just all the stuff. Um, and it was just really too much, you know, for them. When I came in, it wasn't specifically to be the CFO. It it was, that was just a position that was like, just to have a title, you know? So it actually tried for a month or two doing it kind of like in this weird consulting thing, but it got into this kind of weird dynamic where like, hey, I need to tell these people to do something and they need to do it. And they didn't know if they had to listen to me or not. So once we then just made it official, it's like, yeah, I'm going to be here for a while. So that was just the the role that, that, that they, because they already had like, uh, you know, uh, VP of operations and maintenance and construction, but nothing like that on the finance side. And looking back, you know, EOS has those three pillars, you know, sales operations and finance, they were missing that, you know, pillar. So that's, that's where I jumped in. Makes a lot of sense. We, we also practice EOS and we've practiced EOS since about 2018 it's led to a lot of growth, led to a lot of intentionality and a clear vision. I think EOS gives people a structure to run on. How have you, has your team gone about building the leadership team and and going about your weekly meetings? You guys practice the L10 model and, and maybe speak a little bit to that. So we're really pretty new to the EOS. I wanted to do it back 2000, 19, 20, something like that. I think I saw you, you were you talked at the 2020 technology. Yeah, in Florida down there. Yep. And you were like, you didn't say US, but you were like, the attraction and this, that. And I'm like, he's talking yeah. about EOS. Um, <laughs> I'll drop in buzzwords. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in in 20, we did we implemented Aspire, Acumatica, IPS. There's only so much you can do, you know, at once. And, you know, all my guys basically had PTSD through the rest of that year yep. going through all this stuff. Looking back, should we have done EOS earlier? Probably, probably would have been better, but, you know, here we are. So we're, we're six months and we're self-implementing it, which I talked to Reinhardt and he said they self-implemented for a while and then uh, finally just hired an implementer, you know, person. So we'll, we'll probably end up doing that. We, that being said, we did, you know, pick pieces out of it before. Um, and we have, we call our ELT, our executive leadership team, there's, you know, five of us, you know, on there. And we meet, you know, weekly and go over, um, you know, various, you know, uh, issues. We have, you know, sometimes divisional issues and finger pointing between divisions and stuff uh, in, in that meeting specifically helps resolve those types things yeah construction <laughs> yeah. and maintenance don't get along i know you probably never, <laughs> never experienced that never yeah in my in my time <laughs> in the industry it was more the the sales and the in the production side of things so it was you know sales yeah. underbid it production oh, yeah. can't produce it yeah. fast <laughs> enough so right. those were the silos that we saw i was gonna say in a short time of of implementing it though like what what big change besides removing those silos? What what big changes has it made to allow the business to grow and move forward? It is just the you know the thing I loved about us when I first read that traction book. I like dog-eared every page 
because it's just like it breaks it down so simply and where it just makes sense in so many different areas it just gave us the very basic structure you know like um we've gone through like an org chart before and you have you know sometimes issues when you're doing that but doing it the accountability chart way eos does it removed some of those org chart you know who's reporting to who issues and focused more on who is responsible for what thing yeah uh and and it, it just kind of shifted the focus um that and then uh you know what what is effectively the l10 meetings with all the different divisions you know we would have guys that they'd have a meeting which was great but no agenda just kind of random sometimes things get addressed sometimes they don't and then now the one the meetings are more efficient you know so they're they're half the time they used to be and they're just much more you know structured they go through the agenda they go through the goals or the rocks or whatever and and that's it yeah I, I think that's really important. So in my time when I was implementing Aspire, because I was one of those people that created the PTSD for a little while, <laughs> uh, um, I one of the things I, I would always focus on is assignment of responsibilities and talking through the process and understanding why is this department doing this one thing? Why is uh, the office approving hours when the production is closer to the hours and realigning yeah. those responsibilities creates a lot more clarity and a lot more less frustration and, and in my opinion unnecessary meetings totally do you say unnecessary beatings or meetings <laughs> <Both>. <laughs> i mean <laughs> depending where you're at both <laughs> that must be eos premium yeah <laughs> Well, we, we found EOS just gives us a blueprint and a roadmap to work along, whether it's having our quarterly planning sessions or it's having our weekly meetings, or even it's having our one-on-one -on -one conversations. It's just given us that roadmap and we've used it since we were, you know, three, 4 million and still yeah. use it today when we're, we're triple the size. And you guys are obviously a large company using it that your company, your software company uses it. So it seems like EOS is becoming more and more popular. I was going to ask, are you guys using any type of software to manage the operation of EOS? There's some software yeah, out there. Not yet. Again, we're pretty new to it, you know, and I'm really getting all the guys in the rhythm of the meetings and all that kind of stuff. We're not using any any specific software for EOS yet. I've looked at them, but but we're not quite that far along yet. Yeah. Once once we really get rolling, I imagine we will. Do you guys use one? We do. It's it's really helpful. We did it for the first two years and we just kind of created our own rhythm and, and yeah. off the book, you can kind of implement it off the book pretty well, I thought. But as we started to get our software in now, just like you have your data management software for your operations and ERP, EOS software, and there's a few options out there that you know 90IO is probably the most popular. Mm -hmm. But what you do is you have a platform everyone can drop headlines into. People can manage their KPIs in that. Everyone can manage their rocks and to-dos in that. And then all the issues live in that. So every quarter, every week we look at issues, but every quarter we look at our, what's called our parking lot, where mm -hmm. we've sent issues to lay on the VTO, the Vision right. Traction Organizer. And everyone who listening is like, they're going to understand these acronyms. Other yeah. people wonder what, <laughs> what kind of language we're speaking. Every quarter we pull up these parking lot issues. And honestly, it's it's how we have implemented Aspire. It's how we have implemented these other big challenges is through the EOS model. 
And without EOS, I don't think we would have made those changes yeah. and implementations because we just didn't have any accountability before that. Yeah. So that that's a big, big deal for us is the accountability that EOS brings. Totally. I think the last thing that mentioned, just the, the VTO. So I realized uh, twice, just recent, fairly recently, I think about the company's direction and strategy and what we're doing close to 24 hours a day. I mean, it is just, yeah. I live and breathe it. With our uh, ELT team, we talk about it quite often. You know, what we're doing, you're growing, whatever. And didn't realize it kind of got siloed or isolated with that and wasn't getting that passed down to the rest of the company enough. And there were two cases where you know, an account manager or something share a perspective about what they thought was going on with the company that was just way off. And, and so it took that event to, to help reinforce like what specifically with the VTO, you know, does say, Hey, here's, here's our plan. Here's what we're about. Here's what we're doing. And then share that with, with everybody. So that's, a, that's just been huge for us. Yeah. I think the VTO. So vision is something we talk about. And I think the VTO gives you a blueprint to create a very simple vision. I've helped a lot of companies that are just friends of mine. I, I've given them the VTO. I've sat down with them and in two hours, we can fill that thing out. Yeah. I'm like, well, congratulations. You have your, your business plan. And it's yeah. the same business plan that I've used <laughs> to take our business to eight figures. Yeah. So it's really simple and really easy. I was talking to someone the other day in an interview who's interviewing for us and I asked why they were leaving their company. And they said, oh, I, I don't know where our company's going. I think I've hit the ceiling and we're just, we're not going to grow anymore. I don't know mm -hmm. the vision. I'm just, it's, it's unknown. Yeah. And I just thought in my head, man, if that owner competitor knew about VTOs and knew about EOS and they shared it with their team, they probably would be retaining this employee who's a star. And a lot of times these owners like yourself as a CFO or an executive, you do have a vision. You do think about this 24 seven, but we're kind of in our own echo chamber in our executive leadership exactly. teams. Yeah. It doesn't make it out into the field. And so we have foremen and supervisors who feel like they're never going to grow, even though maybe your plan is to double their, double exactly. the crew size yeah. and the supervisor team. So I think that's a huge, huge benefit of having the VTO and having the vision. One of the 100%. things that, that EOS has done for us specifically, actually, we just had one this week in regards to communicating that vision is I manage a team of a lot of frontline people at the software company. So there are sales, we call them SDRs. They're doing all the outreach and, and mm -hmm. lead generation. And with them, that Justin, to speak to exactly what you're saying, we have vision up on the executive leadership team, but that doesn't always get communicated down to them. And it yep. reflects in our employee engagement surveys. And so the main thing I heard out of my employee engagement surveys was communication, communication, communication. So we set up an AMAs, Ask Me Anything, regularly. Mm -hmm. They are allowed to submit questions anonymously. And we just did one the other day. And the shift that it provided for them to see the vision and see why we were doing what we were doing by asking simple questions on, you know, who are our partners? Why are, why are we partnering with these people? And allowing them to ask those to the people who are making the decisions. It, it got rid of so much unnecessary thinking like if, if they don't know they, they designed their own answer their own conclusion so it eliminated a lot of that which also eliminates frustration totally yeah that's awesome 
So let's go ahead and shift a little bit here into kind of what your day-to-day as a CFO looks like. So tell me a little bit about when you think it's right. What metrics are you looking at? When do you think it's right for a company to bring on a CFO? What's that relationship look like between the other departments? Um, kind of give us a little insight into your day-to-day at Site Landscape. The day-to-day at Site Landscape is very exciting. Every day could bring a new opportunity or challenge. Like we've got just this, you know, we're on this just path to be better, right? And, you know, now getting, and that's kind of vague, you know, what is that? Is that, look at the VTO is probably back there somewhere, you know, is that revenue or not necessarily is, is our goal increase our profit or, you know, uh, employer, whatever it is, you know, we've just got this, this big board and constantly reprioritize it. So day to day is cool because it's, it's always something different and we're always uh, um, uh, just work on different things and, and really, you know, trying to, trying to be better. It's interesting. The, after all our implementation stuff, the actual accounting stuff that I do is pretty minimal, right? I mean, it's just a lot of, you know, now it's like for say AP, we're looking at, uh, you know, what kind of AP automation things are out there. You know, so that we can save time there. Because in and then that rolls into EOS delegate and elevate. You can delegate down the food chain so far, but then if you can delegate to a robot, well, that's you know even even better. So we were looking at that kind of, and that's I love that stuff. So that's fun, you know. So spend time demoed, you know, a bunch of those companies, and then also this is a you know a fault of mine. I'm like, well, I actually think we could do that on our own. Uh, and then I'll go down the rabbit hole and spend time figuring out maybe that's not the best idea. And then, you know, we'll end up calling one of those partners back. We've always point. been, we've all been there, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's that entrepreneurial yeah. mindset in you. I can, I, I can do this. Yeah. And so like HR. Uh, so a lot of the stuff that I do is, is focused around technology, right? And so our uh, you know, payroll partners, Enola, uh, fantastic. We love them always getting better. Now we have, they have a uh, much tighter integration with our accounting software. So, you know, what used to take 10 minutes or 20 minutes to do, you know, a payroll journal entry now is 30 seconds or something like that, you know, so you just keep chipping away at, at all that stuff. Again, the robots doing it and now 10 minutes, whatever I have, uh, it's more time. I have to work on something, you know, more important, you know, or strategic. It, it, there are just dozens of projects like that. Like we're, I was thinking about it, what you were talking about a minute ago, are how we communicate with our employees. Like we, with our office group, emailing and teams and all that kind of stuff. But with our, you know, we have 200 something, you know, like field guys and don't have a great mechanism to mass communicate with them. So there's, there's a couple out there, you know, we, and we uh, debated around, do we just make a big, you know, WhatsApp group message? But that <laughs> would probably get unwieldy and uh, be like the Wild West. So there's some like text message, you know, mass text message services that again integrate with our payroll company. And, you know, we can we can uh, do that. So it's uh, that kind of stuff. The, the other big one that's really focused on now is all this reporting. So we have... After our year of integration, we have you know two three years of data and 
Aspire. We have, you know, data in uh, Acumatic or accounting system. We have payroll data, you know, at IPS Sonova. We have, I don't know, I'm sure we got data. Well, we have GPS data at, you know, Verizon. We have, uh, this was one I hadn't even thought about, toll, or toll tax. We spend, oh, yeah. I mean, it was like 14,000 bucks a month or something in tolls. And I'm like, I knew it was a lot, but I didn't even realize it was that much. So now, uh, basically, we use like Power BI, and that will bring in that data from all the different places. And it's almost like first world problems because yes, of my you know two or three giant monitors, I could put one here and one there and one over there. But it's nice to have it all in one place, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's, we pay for all this technology. You know, it should work. You know, pretty good. But we've been on this just big mission with Power BI getting the, getting the Aspire data and Acumatica data, fuel data. I mean, we spent an insane amount, you know, on fuel and toll tags and all that stuff where that it's easily digestible because a lot of that data can get overwhelming really fast. But if we can make it digestible, where then our guys can make actionable decisions on it is really what we're trying to get to. I mean, the reports are cool and I love them, but don't do anything with them, you know, what we're good on. Yeah. You have to definitely digest which levers to pull in which situation so that can do that real time and utilize the data that you're getting, but that overwhelm people with it. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think data is one of those elusive things that everyone talks about, but it's not something you can point to and be like, there's, you know, I know what an F-250 looks like. But what does data look like? And we use it as such an interchangeable term. As we continue to grow our businesses and implement technology, we have this issue where we have more and more data piling up. Mm -hmm. We have more and more data coming in. And I've noticed our teams actually start to get distracted by looking at their KPIs and get away from the behaviors that they need to be focused on to find success. So instead of thinking of, all right, I need to be scheduled out three weeks with the crews. I need to have all my materials. I need to make sure I've got my equipment lined up. I need to communicate to my my clients. They're just looking at their gross profit margin and their labor variance and saying, well, it's green or it's red. And what are we going to do about this? Sometimes I feel like there's a disconnection between the data and then the behaviors that need to actually change to improve that data. 100%, yeah. How are you guys handling that issue where you have all this data coming in and then you have 200 field guys who are just busting their ass in triple digits in Texas yeah. trying to get things done. Yeah. I mean, how do you guys bridge that gap as an executive team? It's it's a constant battle is not the right word. It's a constant challenge. And we just, we go through it. So what we experience more is they'll say, I might come up with this spreadsheet or something that KPI that I think is the best thing ever, right? I mean, let's just solve all our problems and then give it to the construction guys or whatever. And they're like, this doesn't work because of X, Y, Z, right? And then back to the drawing board. And it's just this, for us, just this constant cycle of, you know, testing things and, hey, does this work um, or does this not, you know, uh, not work? The other piece of that that I struggle with a lot is, um, we want to get you know valuable data, but not if if it causes them too much work to collect the data, and then the value that data produces is not valuable. We don't want to create extra work, and that happens. That's happened before. So always try to be aware of 
the effort to, to get the data or use that report worth the value that we get out of it. Then as far as the people, yeah, that's another huge challenge. And we, we haven't done it too much yet. I'm hoping I can work that into EOS stuff, but yeah, we'll set up a system and then the guys can figure out how to work it. Right. Cause all, yeah. you know, if they're only measured on the green light, then that why do anything else? Right. That's to get the yeah. green light and get my bonus. Why do I care about, you know, this other stuff? So I don't think you can just metric everything at some point, yeah. you know, you get into, maybe it's the EOS GWC, right? Like, are they also a team player? What, they, can you, mm-hmm. can you speak to the GWC? I think that's one of my favorite things about EOS and yeah. I, I, I'm sure not very many people understand what that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So GWC is part of EOS has the people analyzer. So basically yeah. the people analyzer, you have, you know, your person on the, or people on the side, uh, think of a spreadsheet. And then across the top, you would have, you know, your four or five core values. And then at the end, uh, GWC, the get it, uh, want it and uh, capacity to do it. And yeah. so it just, it gives you, instead of, uh, and you can use this for new hires, you know, for employees, for, we've actually used it for some vendors to, or uh, yeah. customers to figure out if, if these are the type of customers we want to, you know, be partnered with. But um, and the grading, the grading system too, is not a one through five. It's like you either, you're either okay. a core value or you're not. It's like a yes or no, right? Yeah. I think there's a, like a maybe, but it basically, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. yes or no. So it's like if integrity was one, it's like, does this person have integrity or no? And then, but before you go through the people analyzer, you're supposed to say, Hey, of our seven or eight values in GWC, will will tolerate two negatives, right? So that means somebody needs to have five of these qualities to really be a fit, right? And then you have some data. Is this person a fit, you know, or not? So you, you, know, you have your values and then the GWC, they get it. Like, does this person get it? Do they understand, you know, what, what we're trying to do here? Do they want it? You know, some people, they may be super talented, but they don't, they don't care. You know, they just, they don't want it. And then capacity to do it is ability, you know, to do it. The hard part with that is the, what's the funny thing? If, if you're really good at your job, the reward is getting more work or something like that. We all see those. Yeah. Guilty. Yeah. So that, that's helped, you know, for us before we'd just be in the meetings and just kind of like randomly this person or whatever is good or bad or they, you know, whatever, but now we have just again, some structure and something yeah. to, to, to base it on. I think it takes emotions out of the equation with hires and look, we're, we all may think we're really good at hiring and we've got these systems in place, but people, people get through the cracks and then you have someone who's not a good fit and you kind of know it in the gut and you're like, man, but maybe they'll come uh-huh. around and you don't want to admit you were wrong. And so you kind of push forward. I said the, the best way to be a, good at hiring is to fire fast. Yeah. And we've always adopted hire, hire slow, fire fast. I think GWC gives us the ability as whether it's an executive team or it's just mm-hmm. a mid-level management team to sit down and have everyone grade that person, that new hire that maybe not isn't working out. Maybe they're ruffling some feathers and decide, okay, they're actually just challenging us in a positive way or no, they don't fit our core values. They're not humble. They don't have high integrity. They're not being professional. 
and and we got to exit them from the company. And that might be at the two, three, four week mark, which yeah. is hard once oh, you yeah. just introduce them to everyone and, and got them yeah. going. But GWC is a great tool that simplifies the process of evaluating your team. Absolutely. I interview multiple people a week and I always tell them in their interview, the, the quickest way to promotion is be a advocate and example of our core values. The quickest way to exit the organization is to not be. And I, I mean, I, I fired people after days just because of core value decisions. So absolutely. I agree with you. Let's talk a little bit about financial data as we mm-hmm. kind of opened up that, that can of worms of data. I've always found it tough to decide how much, data, how much financial info to share with our team, how far down the P&L do you go? What is your approach to that, Andrew? You don't have to give us every specific, but what's your just general philosophy when it comes to sharing well, financial data? I'm going to give you every specific. <laughs> let's go. He, he, right, he's let's the, go. He's the yeah. CNO. Of course, he's going to give you everything. the next two hours of the presentation. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have always been, I don't know why, just transparent and an open book. I think that's more important than ever, uh, especially, you know, with my recent realizations of, of my employees that had just this wrong perspective of what was going on. So basically we share P&L data like 100%. Uh, and then, you know, down from there, you know, divisional P&L, we get into that. And then all the different, you know, metrics for the departments of proficiency and all that kind of stuff. It's it, it pretty well open to every everybody. We we share you know balance sheet data pretty openly with who it's relevant to. It's not like if account manager was curious about what our AP balance was. It's not like that's a secret, right? It's just not terribly relevant to uh, you know what what they do. Now, but what we have done that's been pretty cool. You know, a lot of the guys here don't have a lot of finance experience or knowledge. And it just from being in whatever whatever careers, you know, they've been in. And so we've done some like finance 101 classes, right? Just some nice. understanding, hey, what's the PL, what's the balance sheet, how do they relate to each other? What's cash flow? What's it mean, you know, AP and AR, all that kind of stuff. And that's been really cool. Just to not a lot of places do that. And you know, just uh, a little bit of education. I think it helps them grow. Yeah. And it, 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 I'll just add on that. It also is, I think, a requirement if you are going to share financial data is you educate your team about what you're sharing. Because like you said, there isn't a lot of day-to-day knowledge when it comes to what is gross profit. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed what I always say, your team, they'll they'll think the gross profit is the net profit unless you tell them what it is. Yeah. Which is so, super dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So the other thing we ran into is when we were looking at divisional profit, there it was a great it was a great exercise to go through because we it wasn't what we thought it was. We thought one division was was the more profitable, and it turned out it was the other way around. Because at the gross profit level, you didn't see that, and not until you added the overhead and basically like one of the divisions just takes more people to run, like maintenance, right? Maintenance. It has we all know more it. trucks, more people, more fuel, more toll tags. So when you added all that overhead onto it, uh, it flipped It flipped what, what our perception was before that. So, uh, but again, you were open with that, you know, kind of, again, all in the same team, trying to do the same stuff. 
Uh, I know some companies are, are, are apprehensive about sharing that data, but that's, we're not like that. Usually they're apprehensive to share that data when there's something to hide. I, I talk to yeah. hundreds yeah. and hundreds mm -hmm. of companies on a daily basis, specifically about their financial data, about their processes. And the ones that have things to hide are the ones that don't share their data. In, in the same frame of mind, though, you talk to people in the field not knowing those things. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to owners and office managers who don't understand the difference or who are booking oh, yeah. owned equipment as direct cost and doing all of yeah. these things that are are, are unnatural because they yeah. don't truly understand the financial side of things. And it, it blows my mind when I'm I'm sitting here educating them on how to run a business and they you know they yeah. are doing four million dollars a year in revenue just because yeah. they focus so much on doing the day to day in the business, not on the big mm -hmm. picture. Right. I think that's a big issue with our industry. And one of the things I've done is I've sought out coaches who can help me with strategy, but can also educate me on a balance sheet. I, I'm not college educated by any means. And so when I hired my coach in 2015, he would just once a month, we'd go through the P&L and the balance sheet. And, and Maggie, to your point, he'd point things out like, wait a minute, that you've got to depreciate your your truck. Yeah. You can't just put a payment in as a as a write off as a straight deduct as a straight <laughs> expense. I learned so much from him while also improving our business. So I think if if you are struggling out there with finance, there are people who can help you with that, and and it's not super expensive. And then it really gives you that that freedom to not be held hostage by your CFO or your controller yeah. or your office manager or whoever holds your keys to your books as as that side of a business. So yeah, you touched on earlier, uh, you know, some of the metrics, right. And there's yeah. really two that are the top and, and one is gross profit or, you know, gross profit, net profit, you know, whatever, and then cash flow mm -hmm. between those, you know, you get those two, uh, settled and then you've got time, you know, to figure out all the other stuff. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing too, is when we're talking about profit by department, profit by division. And Maggie, I'm sure you hear this from a lot of companies saying, Hey, our maintenance is our cash cow. Our construction yeah. is, you know, it's not making that much money. But once you start to allocate overhead by department, I think what, what we've realized and a lot of other companies will realize you are dramatically undercharging your maintenance side of the business on hourly rate. And you're under, you're overcharging maybe a little bit, maybe still undercharging on your construction side. But for the well, most part, I just see people undercharging on maintenance because they don't actually understand the amount of overhead, yeah. trucks, tools, everything else that goes into managing maintenance, and also the drive time and all the data that that these business management software give you. Maggie, you talked to so many companies. You know what? What's your take on that whole situation? Well, I would say the biggest thing actually I'm educating on is they think that they're P and L. There looks great. Their their margins look great for maintenance until they hit their their 100 days of hell, their spring, because yeah, they're yeah. looking at their PLs based <laughs> yeah. on invoice revenue yeah. versus based on earned revenue. And so that's the conversation having to explain that to people. I can't tell you how many times I've had to explain the difference to people. And once it clicks, they're saying, okay, this is how much revenue we've we've actually invoiced, but this is how much revenue we've actually performed and the costs mm -hmm. associated with that. It can swing your margin. 20% depending on the time of year. So totally. yeah. yeah, that's something I do. I mean, how do you guys look at revenue 
uh, down at site? I'm, I'm assuming on an earned basis based on your size, but Andrew, what do you so, guys look at? Yeah, we actually are still on invoice revenue. And Interesting. that is specifically the reason I have a bunch of these gray hairs up here uh, <laughs> still. With our, we almost made the switch last year and then, or pushed that goalpost to the end of this year. We want to do it at the calendar year. But our construction billing process is, seems to, it's a little bit challenging. And yep. we want to really get that dialed in before we made that switch to earned revenue because like in and we experience all those problems our monthly net income number uh is like a roller coaster you know it can be <laughs> all over all over the place and the earned revenue definitely smooth that out and help you know see that and uh but we're we're so deep in it and we kind of you know we understand you know those fluctuations but uh it definitely causes uh, a lot of a lot of stress yeah. yeah. At least you understand it, right? And you can and the nice thing not to plug aspire here to but plug aspire is you can see both yeah. because it, it's the companies that worry me that are making pretty large decisions mm -hmm. based off of seeing their margins dropped because they're looking at things only on invoiced revenue. And right. if if that's the, the case, you're in the middle of June and you're like, holy moly, our margins are awful because we just mulched, put in flowers and did all these things, but we've been invoicing yeah. a steady rate. That's not the time to make strategic pivots based on yeah. your margins. Right. <laughs> Neither is February when you, you know, been banking all the maintenance <laughs> and no, you know, no labor expense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's interesting how the departments work in in opposite directions. You have maintenance, which you make a bunch of money in the winter because you're not Billing, you're not sending as many hours out, but then you have construction where you're only really invoicing when you complete work. So that those two, I commend you, Andrew, for having both because it isn't easy to have these two income sectors in a business. But by having those, I think it makes you a stronger company. And it, you know, we are kind of getting to the end of the show, but I'd love to hear just quickly how have you guys grown? It, it seemed like you joined the company when you were about 20. You mentioned you're closer to the 40 mark now. Mm -hmm. It sounds like quick growth in the last four years. Can you speak a little bit on that as far as, is that mostly construction? Is it maintenance? And and where's that coming from? How's that How's that manifesting itself? Uh, that was, it's a good question. So we struggled a little bit like with that, with EOS at first in that, uh, you know, pillar, because I was would tell people often that, we don't really actively do a lot of sales. You know, for the last few years until very recently, basically the environment has been, there's been way more work to handle than there's been labor, you know, to perform that work. Last thing we wanted to do is bring on a new HOA or customer or something and then not be able to service it or the, or the customer have a bad experience. You know, that's hard to recover from. We're, but really where our business comes from, we do, uh, you know, half of it is new construction. And so we're bidding and estimating, you know, uh, all those jobs. And we have really good relationships with a bunch of GCs uh, around here. And, you know, we get those jobs, uh, you know, put all the landscape in, and then we'll do the maintenance usually for the first year, you know, cover the warranty, all that stuff. And then, you know, we retain 85, 90% of those, you know, they'll, some nice. of them just keep going. Some will go out to bid. Some, you know, in the ones we lose, maybe it wasn't a good fit anyways. So it's, so our retain, percentage we retain is, you know, really good. And then, you know, just the organic base of customers we have now, 
HOAs or buildings or whatever, these property management companies that are running it, well, they have other properties too. You know, when we do a good job there, like, like, hey, can you come, can you do these other properties for us? I'm like, yeah, sure. That, I mean, yeah, <laughs> that speaks so much to your team's customer service side then, because if you're, if you're doing a great job on the install, they want to retain you for the maintenance. They like your operation. They like your core values. Yeah. If you're doing a good job on maintenance. You're going to get more of it. So it sounds like really the, the key to your guys' growth is just do a really freaking good job for your clients. It is. And I won't discount though, being in DFW has, I mean, just been one of the hottest markets. You know, there's been just so much. Yeah. There's, I mean, there, I can see like four cranes just from my office. You know, there's stuff going up everywhere. You know, that's probably not going to last forever. So at some point we may actually have to go try to sell something if we want to maintain <laughs> our, maintain our uh, uh, growth. Uh, I got trajectory. The, <laughs> I totally, but that road work out there is horrendous. Oh my gosh. Yes, it is. There's a lot going on, but yeah, good stuff. Hey, so one of the things we like to do on this podcast is share some secrets, something you can't find Ooh. in a book, something that people aren't going to go learn maybe at a conference at, on a keynote, something that really is just raw coming out of these conversations. Is there anything over your career that you found that has given you a leg up or an advantage or a secret that, that you'd like to share with our, uh, our listeners out there. The one thing that comes to mind and I don't, it's not as much a secret and I don't know that this is a superpower or a curse, but in every single venture that I've been in, um, I've even back 25 ugh, uh, many years ago, it's technology. Uh, and I know that's a, not a, really not a secret, but that's just the one thing that came to mind. I mean, and there's so much of it out there now uh, that it's making a lot of these other things uh, easier. It, it is to start a business and do these things now is much easier than it was even five, 10 years ago, right? Yeah. I mean, I remember back when the Pence Company in 2015-ish, there wasn't all this scheduling software and all this stuff out back then, or it was in the infancy, right? That's really, that's really it. That's what comes to mind. Just in, embracing all the technology. Ballpark figure, and this is a conversation I have with people quite often, is how much money should we be spending on technology? Because this is music to my ears right now, being someone <laughs> in the technology sector who also comes from the landscape world. But how much money percentage-wise to your total top-line revenue do you feel like you should be spending on tech with technology? The great, that's just a fantastic question. And we saw the, the software in, industry evolve over the last decade. You know, think about uh, Microsoft Office. You used to could like buy 2013 version, right? And then you just had that forever. If you wanted the new one, you could get it. Maybe it had some new features or not, but now everything is subscription, right? Yes. Um, yep. And that was, that was one level. And then now you see these uh, bigger ones are now uh, tiered percentage of revenue, right? It, it's great because it uh, aligns your interest. You know, if you're doing better, the, the software company is going to do better. So it is getting more shockingly more expensive, but it's much more capable, right? I mean, it just, if you look at what it does and um one of my guys here, uh, when we were debating the uh, landscape software implementation, <laughs> you know, because it's a big investment for mm -hmm. us compared to we had QuickBooks before, 
which was yeah. Yeah. 200 bucks a year, right? Yeah. Is like, okay. And, you know, we're sitting there and he said, this is just brilliant. It's like, we only have to be 1% better. It only has to make us 1% better, you know? And we're like, well, yeah, that's no brain. It's going to be double digits better uh, to do that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a big number. Uh, I think that it's going to continue to grow, but it's the capability is growing so much more. Uh, I think, I do think more and more people should allocate a budget uh, to it. Yeah. If, if there's a landscape company out there who is on the bubble of implementing uh, landscape software, and right now they're working on Excel spreadsheets and QuickBooks and how we all used to do it. I've noticed there's just this, this final and Maggie, I'm sure you know so much better than I, but I've noticed from conferences, people, they get so close to the finish line. And then whether it's the price or it's the lift or, or whatever it is, they just hunt the ball down the, down the field, say, let's do it at calendar year end. And then that comes and goes. It's like, because they're not on EOS and they yeah, they're not, there's no accountability on decisions. No accountability. It's a, t- so, it, yeah. It, so in the, you know, one of the tenants of EOS is you'll work, uh, with a clarity break or whatever, working on the business, not in the business. When you're that size company, it's, you know, you have a few people wearing a lot of hats. Everybody's super busy all the time. To, to step back and say, for us to go from 4 million to 8 million, we need to be on the software. But to be on the software, we're going to have to take hours away from the day to learn it, implement it, do all this stuff. You know, it's it's the old adage. You, know, you got to take half a step back to take five forward, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's hard. That's hard to do for a lot of smaller companies. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you said you touched on was it's getting more expensive, but it gets, but it's getting more capable. And I have people that come to me all the time. Very tight knit industry. My buddy is paying less than I'm. You know that you're then you're proposing me for software, mm-hmm. and my conversation with them is. Well, the software is a lot further evolved than when your buddy signed up five years ago. And I relate it to an employee, right? If you have a brand new employee labor in the field, as they become more and more capable, you pay that employee more and more. You move them up, you pay them to be a supervisor, you pay them to be a manager, you pay them to be on leadership team. As skills develop within software, it's the same thing. Totally. Yeah. And awesome. you've shared so much knowledge with us today. <laughs> I'm, I've got a bunch of notes myself. I'm going to take back to our company. Thanks for, for sharing all that knowledge, man. You got it. Happy to do it. Thanks for having me today. And if people want to follow up with you or talk to you, ask questions about what it's like to be a CFO at a company, when I should bring them in, where's the best way for people to reach out to you? Call, text, email, smoke signals. <laughs> I mean, just anything. I awesome. I uh, am a nerd about this stuff. I love talking about it. Um, you know, always learn stuff too. This landscape community is great. I mean, for the most part, everybody's, you know, helping everybody else. And it's just, if I get the opportunity to help somebody out, I absolutely, you know, want to do that. So yeah, okay. call, text, email. Are you yeah. going to be at Ignite in November, Andrew? Oh, yeah. Oh, Vegas. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll all be there. So if you want to track Andrew down, you got to go yeah, to Vegas in November. Vegas. Yeah. Absolutely. Plug for night. <laughs> Love it. Love it. We'll also include Andrew's contact information in the notes for the show if anyone wants to reach out to him that way. But cool. thank you so much, Andrew, for joining you us today. It. And uh, let's keep talking to the trades and trading those secrets.
Sounds good. Have a good one.